So Money, episode 538, Emily Williams, success coach and entrepreneur. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Listen, raise your hand if you went through a quarter-life crisis. I won't tell anyone. I mean, I did. I went through one. It was more like a quarter-life I don't know, hyperventilation slash nervous breakdown more than anything else. I'll set the stage. Okay. So I was in a movie theater with my brother, who at the time was probably maybe 12 or 13. Bless him. He had to witness this. He and I were watching the movie Big Fish. Remember that movie that kind of like nobody ever saw? (laughs) It was directed by Tim Burton. Ewan McGregor was in it. Albert Finney, also known as Daddy Warbucks from Annie. Anyway, I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I can't breathe. I've got tears streaming down my face. And it wasn't because this was a particularly sad or awful movie. I just could not that at that moment and for many weeks, I could not get my mind off work. The fact that I was so stressed, the fact that I wasn't sleeping, the fact that my boss was a total monster, on and on and on. And I was also $30,000 in debt. I was making no money. I could have really used today's guest for help back then. So fast forward now, gosh, uh, 10 years and change, we have success coach and entrepreneur Emily Williams here, finally. She works with female entrepreneurs all over the world, helping them overcome their financial, emotional, and all other obstacles standing in their way. At one point, Emily herself had $30,000 in credit card debt and $90,000 in student loans. She had a meltdown in her 20s. And we'll talk about how she managed to turn things around for herself. And when she finally got on her feet and got this epiphany to launch her own coaching business, she went from making $442 in one month to hitting six figures by month six and then growing it to seven figures in under 18 months. I'm intrigued. Here's Emily Williams. Emily Williams, welcome to So Money. Great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I mean, where do we even begin your business? <laughs> right? I mean, seriously, you have a very successful, thriving business now. The backstory, somewhat of a zigzag from the debt to overcoming your quarter life crisis to suddenly making all this money in a year and a half. So I guess let's start with the beginning, which is you found yourself in what I think a lot of young millennials discover at some point, and I think I went through it as well, a quarter-life crisis. A lot of it had to do with the debt that you had amassed, about 120 grand in debt, including student loans and credit card debt. Take, take us to that moment and kind of what your what your lowest point was like. <laughs> yeah, I remember I had moved to London. I, I moved from Ohio to London on a whim, and that's a whole nother story. But I had moved to London to get this master's degree in non fiction writing. And so I, I ended up with about 90 grand in student loan debt and then 30 grand student of, of credit card debt. And um, I mean, I just had always had this feeling that I was meant to do something big 
big in my life. But at that point, I started to wonder if it was ever going to actually happen. I felt like there was something wrong with me. Uh, I mean, I remember one at one point, my parents came to visit me in London, and I just cried every single dinner when they asked me what I was doing with my life and what my plans were. I remember <laughs> my dad wanting to like, literally sit down and map out a plan with me. And I just had no idea. So it was just uh, it was a scary place to be in when I felt like in my gut, I could do some really great things. And I had all these aspirations, but I just couldn't pinpoint them. You were overwhelmed. Did you always, yes. did you always uh, go through life as an overachiever? And suddenly you were kind of like, released into the wild? I feel like a lot of times, you know, when you're in a structure like school, or a job that is very kind of routine, you kind of know what your targets are and you can exceed them and it feels good. But when you're just unleashing the real world and in their case of foreign country, you can, you can feel very lost at sea quickly. Exactly. Yeah. I had always, I'd been a 4.0 student, you know, straight A's all the time, thought I was going to go and get a master's in psychology, was literally driving to go to Northwestern in Chicago from Ohio. And I had this feeling in my pit, in the pit of my stomach that it wasn't the right decision for me and that I had kind of fallen into um, just this in the box sort of mindset. And I realized that a master's in psychology wasn't my path yet. I didn't know what my path was. I just had to trust my gut and trust my heart. And that's what led me to London. But you know, everyone thinks it's a glamorous move from Ohio to London. And in some ways it was, but I was super overwhelmed and confused about what my next steps were. That's for sure. Plus it's raining all the time in London. (laughs) Super depressing. Depressing. Food is not that great. Sorry, London. And um, um, it's expensive to boot. Yeah, I mean, my flat was the size of a closet, and I was paying, you know, at least a thousand. It's not like how they make month. it out in Love Actually. You know, it's just it's, no. it's just like New York. You know, they like on Friends, these girls living in this massive apartment, like really a waitress, and totally. Uh, well, supposedly, it was rent controlled. Yeah, but, uh, but I don't still, know. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, what was your gut telling you? What was your heart telling you? And what did you ultimately do to get yourself out of that rut? The the easiest way for me to describe it is that I felt like I was meant for something big. And I don't know if you saw Oprah's, um, I believe it was called Live Your Best Life yes. Tour. <laughs> um, but I went to one of her events and I remember her sharing a story that really painted that picture as well. She said how she was growing up and her grandma used to tell her, you know, you need to learn how to clean the house. You need to learn how to make bread because that's what's in store for you. And she she didn't talk back, but she essentially felt in her gut, like, "Mm -mm, that's not what I'm doing. That's not what I'm meant for. And so I just felt like there was something else for me. And so I really just kept following little clues. Um, and, and what I mean by that is if something piqued my interest, I would follow it. So for example, I was really excited about the potential of writing a book. So I decided, decided to get a master's in nonfiction writing. Then there were certain other things that piqued my interest. Like I became a matchmaker for a bit. Um, and I was interested in relationships and that dynamic. And so I just kept following these things. And then eventually I actually, my friend sent me Marie Forleo's website, who's very big in our industry. And uh, that was this major aha moment for me. I I realized that coaching was that something big I was meant for. And it really, um, I I felt like Marie showed coaching in a way I'd never seen it. When I was growing up and my dad had coaches come to our house, they were in like business suits, they had their little 
little three ring binders. And that wasn't the type of coach that Marie was. And so that was kind of even the moment that everything changed for me. So what were you going to coach? How did you know what your calling was? I mean, coaching, and you might uh, agree. I mean, I hear from other coaches too, that the industry's kind of gotten gotten diluted where everyone calling is calling themselves a coach. Breaking out in that marketplace can be very challenging. So for you, how did you identify your niche? What mm-hmm. was your expertise? So I started off doing life coaching for women in a quarter life crisis. <laughs> so I... Yeah, exactly. I felt like I had been through it, even if it had only been a few (laughs) months before. And I just kind of went for it. And, and, um, you know, I can see what you're saying about the coaching industry. But I also believe that sometimes we wait until everything is perfect to get started. And I, you know, I've never been that way. I always just go for things. And I felt like, you know, even if there was one person I could help who had was in a quarter life crisis in that moment, or felt like things weren't going to happen for her or was craving clarity that felt like it was never going to come. I felt like I had to at least try had to at least put myself out there. And so that's where I started. And then as as I got clients and started to actually build a business of my own, I started to see that there were a lot of women coming to me who, yes, were in quarter life crises, but they had dreams of something big, just like I did. And for them, that big was that online business and that life of, um, you know, that laptop lifestyle, so to speak. And so as I started to build my business and get more information about how to do that, then I started to share it with others and, um, you know, really gradually got into working with other entrepreneurs. In a very short period of time, I understand that it was the summer of 2014, you made a little over $400 that month, and then 18 months later, you'd reached a million. What? Yeah. Can you, can you, can you bring that to life for me a little bit? I need to start taking notes here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't want anyone to think it was like I snapped my fingers. It definitely wasn't. Um, I, again, just hit the ground running with everything. At one point, I had 27 one on one clients and was running two group programs. And I mean, I just, I just went for it. And I just put myself out there. And I kept, you know, raising my prices and offering more Um, a a variety of different packages. And like I said, scaling by running group programs where I could reach more people. Um, I created some info products so that people could purchase my my programs and download them to complete in their own time. So I had a variety of different offerings, but I I honestly was working probably around 100 hours a week um, for the first six months. And I had no social life. I mean, it was was difficult. (laughs) Um, So I don't want anyone to think like it was an overnight. I mean, essentially, you know, it might feel like 18 months is an overnight thing, but I worked, I worked really, really hard. Were you still in London at the time? Yes. Uh huh. Wow. So you're, you, were you marketing to the world or was there an, like all women in their quarter life crises or, you know, whatever, um, challenges, professional career, financial, they were going through, did you have international clients? Were they all virtual? I suppose so that's the case, right? Yeah. Yeah, international, everything was done virtually. So yeah, I mean, I Facebook ads completely transformed um, my bank accounts, I, I was able to reach, you know, everyone, our main clients are in the US and, and the UK, you know, to this day. So I was able to reach a wide variety of people. So when you say you put yourself out there, what were the out there's? Was it Facebook? Yeah. Was it your list? Like, how did you market yourself? 
yeah, definitely Facebook ads. Um, I did some live trainings. I mean, I've always been a firm believer of, um, being honest and vulnerable. And so from the beginning, I, I, shared from the heart. I told people the story of my own quarter life crisis and things that I had been through. And I really believe that, you know, people want to feel like you get them. They want to want you to express, um, your own journey and, and they want to be able to connect with your story. So that's what I did from the beginning, whether it was on, um, some free training. So I recorded, there was one point where I had like four hours of this, um, audio training that I did for, for people, it was called hot mess to make a success. And, um, I also have a book on that now, but it was, you know, I basically bared my soul in terms of what I had gone through and how I moved past it and how they could too. And so and there was an element of me sharing my story and being vulnerable that I feel, you know, really helped build the brand and helped my followers get connected with me and supported them and feeling like I could help them. You know, so much of a success in an online business, especially uh, these days, has to do with marketing. And your background may be in... Did you have a background in psychology? Yeah, I have a yeah. degree. So yeah, so that probably fueled a lot of your your strategy, right? For understanding how to really get to people with your story, authenticity matters, but also like how to really trigger them to click buy. Yeah, I think that definitely played a part. I will have to give credit. You know, I, I invested quickly in my business. I invested with coaches that had come before me. Um, and I felt really strongly, you know, there was a point where I felt like I could do it myself. But then I realized that wasn't exactly the fast path to success. Um, so I invested with other coaches and you know, people who knew about marketing and knew about Facebook ads and could support me in moving forward. Um, so I wasn't playing that business guessing game. But yeah, I mean, definitely my psychology background, I've always been curious about the way people think I've always been really heartfelt and um, wanted to connect with people on a deeper level versus that, you know, that surface relationship. And you also along the way found your mate. Um, so tell us a little bit about that partnership, because I know that you've credited that relationship for helping you and yeah. your business really thrive. Yeah, so many women, I feel, um, you know, have the belief that they need to get their their career in line and, and certain things, certain boxes ticked um, before they move forward with that romantic relationship. But I was actually the opposite. I grew up with uh, parents who met when they were 15. They've been together ever since. They never dated anyone else. And they're still very much in love. And so I saw a really positive relationship um, as I was growing up. And so I always wanted that. I always, you know, just like I believed I was meant for something big career wise, I felt like I was meant for something big relationship wise. And so when I got to London, that was also part of my mission. I basically serial online dated and met James. Um, and, you know, as I built my business, he, he saw what I was doing. And, you know, we had a great relationship. And it was around that time that he started to feel like, you know, maybe he was meant to do something bigger, or maybe something different. And he had been in the design world for 12 years. And um, he, uh, similar time to me, discovered coaching and, um, started to look into it and, and got really interested in him, in it himself and ended up leaving his job. Um, it was about 10 months after I got my first client. So we kind of jumped into working together and we've been working together every, ever since. And you said, despite making more than him, he's cool mm. with that. He is. Yeah. Um, 
He's so supportive. I, I, I talk a lot about Oprah, but just this came to mind. I remember her saying that her partner Stedman used to, you know, people used to ask, are you, are you, um, you know, upset to be an Oprah shadow? And she said, no, he feels like he's in the light. Mm. And I thought that was really beautiful. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. But I, I will say, I, I've heard Stedman speak and he, I, I believe would say the same thing, but he's also said in, you know, his speeches that when people come up to him and say like, oh, you're dating Oprah. And he's like, it does add a lot of pressure to you to be able to make sure that you get your bleep together, you know, like he, <laughs> yep. Uh, and so I think in, in he's being very positive in saying that, you know, she's really motivated him totally. to pursue his career and, and find his passion and find his thing. And maybe it's not to the financial uh, success as Oprah Winfrey and the fame as Oprah Winfrey, but he is very uh, much fulfilled in what he does. And he credits her for getting him kind of um, more focused and more um, pursuant of that. So that's, uh, that's a great partnership. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure James would say the same thing. I know he often says that um, my best and worst traits are that I never give up. <laughs> but, yeah. he, you know, so there are times where I drive him crazy and me working 100 hours a week wasn't the easiest thing. But he's proud and it inspired him to go after his dreams, too. He didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial family like I did. Um, and so it's kind of, you know, he feels like he has this second chapter um, and he's doing the thing that he was meant to do and, and is just you know, grateful that we're on the path together for sure. That's great. Okay. Let's talk money. Okay. And, um, I want to talk about your, your money mantra. What's your financial philosophy, Emily? I have a few, but one of the ones I wanted to share with you was this idea that, um, kind of came out of my mouth accidentally that you can either be scared or rich. And what I mean by that is not that, when you have money that you're not scared because, you know, I'm still scared of, of putting new programs out there or taking business risks or whatever, but you have to move past that fear in order to make money. Um, so yeah, you can either be scared or rich. You can't like stay in that place of fear and expect to, you know, get the raise, get the new job, you know, start the business, whatever that goal may be. the security Fortune 500 companies use. They need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately. This is exactly the kind of security you get with Simply Safe. If there's a break-in, they use real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. And that means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. With Simply Safe, you get comprehensive protection for your home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your house. Entry motion and glass break sensors guard inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, carbon monoxide poisoning, and it's all monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. You can set it up yourself with no tools needed, or they can do it for you, and it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash so money. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. Be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash so money so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash so money. I do think that we've talked about on the show in the past that particularly with women, there is this fear of owning it and owning more of it. There is this masculine energy around 
wealth and rich and power. They, I think we correlate rich with power. And sometimes that, that power is not, it doesn't speak to us. But, you know, redefining and reframing what power means to you as a woman and then making sure that, you know, you earn as much as you can, as much as you want to achieve that power, the power to heal, to help, to give back. These are, I think, what motivate, these are the powerful definitions that, that do motivate women. And so for me, that was the big kind of transition because I think I was in a place of fear. I don't know if it was fear or was so much like complacency, you know, like I'm okay. Yeah. I don't really need to be making more. Life's good. But it was a female wealth coach that actually shook me and woke me up to the fact that no, you can earn more. You should earn more. The world will depend on it because when women make more, the world becomes a better place. I love that. And then I heard yeah. that and I was like, all right, it's not <laughs> it's about so, me. It's about it's the not world. About you. The world becoming a better place. I'm so glad that this is something that you teach your your clients as well. Because that's such a... It goes hand in hand with running a business. Exactly. And, you know, I really love what you said about the world becoming a better place because that's often the motivation for my clients. Although, you know, I admit that they want the laptop lifestyle, they want to travel, they want the financial freedom for their own personal um, desires. They do have a desire to give back, whether it's the charity or or giving, I remember being so motivated by being able to spend more than $50 for Christmas on my family's gifts. You know, there was such a restriction there when obviously I was in debt and didn't have money to give back or be generous with family and friends. And so that's part of my motivation as well as my client's motivation. And, and oftentimes they do want to change the world. They want to have a big impact. They want to start the charity or, you know, whatever that goal is. Um, so it's definitely not just about us. It's about so much more than that and our purpose. When you paid off your debt, did you do anything to celebrate? Do you remember that moment? So funny um, that you asked me that. I was talking to someone about this the other day. I had built up such a... Gosh, I had such an issue over my debt for so many years and I felt so bad about it despite the fact that I, you know, had had invested all this money in my education. It wasn't like I went out and blew it on um something that I regretted. Um and so, you know, I, I had this big hang up around it and then when I paid it off, like I, I don't even actually remember that moment. It ended up not being that big of a deal and you know, in my mind I had thought it was going to take me forever to pay it off. Um and I'll be honest with you, in the beginning of my business I chose not to pay off my student loan debt straight away because I wanted to invest in my business to grow it quicker. And I know that might not be what um, financial advisors will say, but in my mind, it made far more sense for me to invest in working with a coach or something that would drive my business forward much faster than like chucking away at my student loan debt and not having any money to invest in my business. I would agree with that. I mean, as long as you're making the minimum payments right. and not getting behind, investing in yourself and a business year over year will grow exponentially more than the six, 7% that you're paying f towards that loan. So I, mean, I think it makes fi yeah. financial sense. It can also make a lot of life sense. Exactly. Yeah. So that was kind of my, I had to really release like any debt shame. <laughs> That's what mm -hmm. I like to call it because it was holding me back for a long time. What was your biggest failure financially? You know, I, I really have a hard time with this question because I don't like to regret any of my financial decisions. You know, I feel 
like I don't even use the word debt um, in my conversations with my clients. I call it investment. Um, so I've had to like, you know, I really have retrained my thinking around that. Um, so be honest. So to be honest with you, I don't have any any regrets around that. But I didn't say regret. I said failure. Okay. Which you know, failing is not regretful. Failing is part of life, and sometimes we are thankful for our failures. Financial failures, though, um, I don't feel like I've had any financial failures. I've had business failures for sure. Mm-hmm. I've made decisions. You know, I tried to do everything myself in the beginning, and and that was probably tied to like really trying to hold on to my money and not pay anyone to help me with my hundred hours of work um, and trying to do everything myself. So I definitely regret and have you know the belief that people should outsource as soon as they can, at least you know to someone who can help with their emails. Um, so that would be my main thing. And, and again, like in the beginning, trying to do it all on my own without a coach, that was something I wish I would have invested in sooner. But other than that, you know, I'm, I am grateful for, for everything that's happened and feel like they've all, you know, everything that's happened has been, um, a lesson or has been part of my journey. You mentioned that paying off the debt wasn't this like you know, it was sort of anticlimactic, I suppose. Uh, it <laughs> happened, but it wasn't, you know, yeah. this, like huge, like the, you know, the earth shook or anything like that. But was there a so money moment in your, in your transition from the quarter life crisis to becoming an entrepreneur, you know, a moment where you just felt so f- proud of your financial self? Yeah. So, um, when I hit my seven figure <laughs> Mark, you know, I, my original goal was to hit six figures before my 30th birthday. That was always my goal. And there was a period of time where I thought, you know, it might not happen. I'm making $30,000 a year as a matchmaker. So how am I going to hit that six figures? And then, you know, I ended up hitting six figures within six months of my business and then went on to make, um, seven figures. And my husband and I had taken a trip to to Vail, Colorado with some friends. And we ended up staying an additional two weeks uh, because we loved it there. And to be able to do that, you know, not just from a financial perspective, but from a time perspective, neither of us had jobs to go back to. Um, We were able to just decide to stay. That was a really proud moment for me. You mentioned um, way earlier that you were, you know, in London, your parents came to visit. Sounds like you have a supportive family. And um, so take us back to childhood a little bit and share with us maybe a a memory of, of learning about money or a financial experience, even though at the time you may not have thought of it as that, but it really was. Yeah. My dad said that my first word um, was money, which I never realized. No <laughs> he told way. Me that. That's what he said. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to, I don't know why he thinks that. I thought we'll it was mom or something. That. Yeah. We'll have to fact check that one. Maybe but, it was mommy. <laughs> yeah. Mommy. <laughs> um, but we were laughing about that the other day. Um, I, you know, my family is super supportive. My mom is actually a part of some of my programs. Like she loves being a part of it. And my dad has been an entrepreneur, um, you know, since in his twenties. But I do remember one of my favorite uncles telling me that it was just as easy to marry a rich man as it was to marry a poor man. And, I, you know, I knew what he was trying to say, like marry rich and be taken care of. But again, I felt like, you know, I I'm smart. I can do something. I don't need to depend on a man. And there was like that whole independent woman thing. Um, and you know, I, but I would I ne- like to differ with the income, with the gap in wealth in this country, there are fewer rich people than there are, well, you know, poor people, but anyway, agreed. Yeah. Back to your dad. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure he told me that when I was like 13 or something and um, starting to date and all that good stuff. So yeah, so I had that uncle that that shared that with me. But that was never, you know, the way that I grew up thinking I knew that I wanted to do big things. And I didn't need to to marry someone in order to have the life that I wanted. Um, But yeah, that just stands out to me in my mind to to this day. You know, I had a kind of similar experience, although it wasn't blatantly told to me like, you should marry well or being marrying marrying a rich guy is going to make your life easier. I did feel that that was like a subtle message that I got. But what all I saw around me were women who were beholden to their husband's bank accounts as a Mm. result of that. And it was a sad existence, you know, to not be able to have your own money which to me, I figured that out really soon that having your own money means personal financial freedom and personal freedom. What what I was being maybe whispered was not what I was actually seeing and witnessing. Uh, the fact that, yeah, yeah I you agree. Know, marry well, your life will be great. Mm, is it really though? You know, because th- there were fights. They were, they just didn't really seem like they were getting along. They didn't really understand each other. The wives did not have that independence that I really craved as a um, an adult woman. So, um, yeah, I agree completely. You know, being able to make your, your decisions based on your finances, not having to rely on someone else or ask permission for things, you know, that wasn't something I envisioned in my future either. All right. Let's talk about habits and then we'll get to the fill in the blanks. But what's a financial habit that you practice regularly? And I'm sure as a coach, you have some, some, uh, some go-to practices. For yourself. Yeah, definitely. So one of them is looking at my bank account every single day. Uh, I remember even, oh gosh, a few years ago when I didn't have a good relationship with my bank account, you know, I would like had my hands over my face, not wanting to look at it because it was not a pretty sight. You know, I read a book, um, I believe it was Kate Northrup in Money, A Love Story. And she mm-hmm. talked about the fact that, you know, your relationship with your bank account, it is a relationship. And so to start to be grateful for the thing that you can pay off even now, whether it's, you know, just the rent or just the, the, the bills that you have to pay, you know, start to retrain your mind to have a positive relationship with money. So I started to look at my bank account every day after that. And I still do to this day, you know, too much, so much to the point of, if there are days where I don't look at it, this happened a few months ago when I was at an event it started to feel weird, almost like I missed my bank account, which feels very strange to admit. But that's kind of, you know, I've gotten into that routine. And so when people tell me that they don't look at their bank accounts, or someone else deals with it, um, for me, you know, that feels a bit odd, because I'm very much, you know, involved with my finances. And I think that's really important. I mean, could you imagine going through your days without looking at your partner, or speaking to your partner? Exactly. That deteriorates the relationship. And so I think with money, you have to always have that connection, whether it's looking at your numbers, you know, being conscious of your money somehow, some way every day, having that touch point is so important. And uh, I love Kate Northrup. She's been on the show and she's a friend and she's fantastic. So she is uh, amazing. I love her too. Her advice is solid. All right, let's do some so money fill in the blanks and then I'll let you get back to your seven figure life and your lovely husband. Are you guys married? (laughs) Yep, we're married. All right. Lovely husband. Life is good. All right. Tell me this. If I won the lottery tomorrow, are you still in London, by the way? We're in San Diego right now. We just came from Colorado to San Diego. Yeah. Are you guys just, you just hop 
you just hopscotch all over the world or we travel a lot this week we're here for a mastermind um and we were just in Vail for 10 days skiing again because we fell in love with it <laughs> oh how nice what's home yeah. what's home base yeah london's home for london's us. home okay yeah. all right if i won the lottery tomorrow let's say 100 million bucks the first thing i would do is I would buy a house in Vail, Colorado. Yes. <laughs> we just visited a few of them while we were there just for fun. And, and they're amazing. I've never been skiing out West. So that's a goal. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I would do that. I would expand. I heart my life. So my business, we just launched a stationary line as well. So I would do more with that, with some products, with team, with events. Um, and I would give a lot to family and friends and, and do some charitable work as well. A stationary line. Go you. Yeah. Yeah. Busy, I love keeping my busy. <laughs> um, one thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is. Oh, people. So team and help around the house. I mean, that was the getting a cleaner was the first thing I invested in. And I'm never going back. <laughs> oh my gosh. I used to have my cleaner come every week for a while. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Let's do every other week. But now I'm thinking every week because you know what? Dust accumulates in a New York apartment and now we're going to be a family of four and uh, I'm like a really pregnant right now. So there is not even any like upkeep that's happening. No, I think once a week would be good for you. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Okay. Uh, my biggest splurge, like something really just guilty pleasure that you love to buy, spend on occasionally. It's not the cheapest, but you know what? You don't care. Shoes. Shoes. Yeah, shoes. Um, and my home. And your phone? My home. Your home. House. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love I love designer shoes, Christian Louboutin. I know they're not practical. I know I can barely walk in them, but they're beautiful. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> they're all... It's not practical. They're, they're only beautiful. They I know. were not meant to be worn on the feet. No, they, they weren't. They were meant to be sitting in your closet, photographed. Um, Taxi shoes. <laughs> I mean, I ended up... I bought, I bought one... Well... I bought a pair of sandals, which are great from Louboutin. Like I treated mm-hmm. myself one summer and it was, I was in Vegas and I wasn't gambling. So I was like, I'll just, instead of putting my money down the slot machine, I will, you know, buy a pair of shoes. Yeah. So that's how I rationalized <laughs> that. Then I bought a pair of heels when I was pregnant because it was the only thing that would fit me at the time. Like shoes, you know, because wow, I, yeah, but only for a limited time when you're pregnant because then your whole body just swells like after the third trimester, after the second trimester. So I bought these shoes. I wore them once. They were super uncomfortable. I ended up selling them on tradesy.com and making a lot of my money back. So that was thank that was great. But I'm not doing that again. Uh, <laughs> I, I live in New York too. If I go outside, they will get eaten up by the streets. I know. So I have to just be in my house with my shoes on. <laughs> Everyone will just have to come here to see me wearing the shoes. To see them. Oh, that's so funny. Anyway. I know. It's not practical, but I can't help it. <laughs> they photograph so well. Yeah, they do. All right. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money, besides the fact that men won't buy your happiness, <laughs> is... That creating wealth is unlimited. And that money mindset is something everyone should learn uh, growing up. I don't know why they don't teach it in school. I don't know why they don't teach certain mindset techniques in school to begin with. Um, but yeah, money mindset is one of my passions. And I'm looking to get that work out into the world, not just for entrepreneurs, but for everyone. I don't know why they don't teach it in schools. I mean, there are studies that show that maybe it just isn't something that sticks. 
But what, you know, I don't remember much of my curriculum in high school and middle school, but yet they still taught it. So it's just not a priority. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I remember a coach telling me that I have the power over my thinking and that positive thoughts, you know, can change my reality. And then I believe that, but I never learned that. I had to learn that at 25 and I wish I would have learned it a long time Mm -hmm. ago and, um, could have seen a a lot of, uh, faster growth. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. All right. When I donate, I like to give to blank because friends and family. Um, I, my mom is a huge giver. And so I have that spirit. I love giving gifts. I love being able to help friends and family. Um, so definitely friends and family. And last but not least, I'm Emily Williams. I'm so money because I overcame my money fears and blocks and hit seven figures in my first 18 months in business and help others do the same. That's like so money to the fourth degree. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you so much, Emily. Congratulations. Um, Safe travels as you explore the world, go back to Vail, do a little uh, maybe sunny time in San Diego. Life is good. I wish I was in your shoes. I will be someday. I'm just, uh, I got to deliver a baby first. Yeah. Well, you have some pretty amazing (laughs) shoes. So I'm grateful to be on. And I just wanted to share that I have a little free training for your audience, if you don't mind me sharing that. Yeah, please do. Yeah. So I have this training called um, Scared or Rich, Seven Practical Biz Tips to Help You Move Past Fear and Hit Your Mega Money Goals. And it's not just for entrepreneurs. You know, everyone will benefit from this mindset, uh, money mindset work. So we'll have that on iheartmylife.com forward slash so money. All right. I will put that on our blog as well. And hopefully we'll get you uh, some people your way. Thanks so much, Emily. Thanks, Varnish. Thank you. It's been amazing. To learn more about Emily, her website is iheartmylife.com or follow her on Twitter at iheartmylifenow. And Emily is providing our audience with a special offer. Head over to iheartmylife.com slash so money to get her scared or rich seven practical biz tips to move past fear and hit your mega money goals. Thanks for tuning in everyone. And I hope your day is so money. Money.